0: As you settle in, I want to begin by asking you a question. Growing up, how many of you had something you really wanted? It could be something as small as a, a pair of tennis shoes or something as big as a car and your parents told you that you could have it, but you would have to make sacrifices in order to get it. Anybody? Can you think of something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you remember some of the sacrifices that you made for that particular thing? Maybe it was a month's worth of chores around the house, or a summer's worth of mowing lawns, or two or three years worth of working part-time after school and full-time during the summer months. Yeah, we, many of us have had to make sacrifices just like that for things that we want. Well, let me ask you this do any of you still have those items today those items that you work so hard for where are those shoes that toy those clothes or even that car today where are those items you slave for painful truth is many of us spent hours upon hours working and sacrificing for that particular thing, though many of us, we, we shed blood, sweat, and tears for it. You don't have anything tangible to show for all the effort you put forth back then, today. I remember when I was first starting to play basketball, and I wanted a brand new pair of black Reebok pump tennis shoes. Anybody remember pumps? There they are. Yeah, mine looked something like this, the ones that I got. And I wanted those shoes so badly, and I just hounded my parents all the time, day and night for it. And they finally said, okay, your birthday's coming up. They said, if you want, you can ask from family members who normally send gifts if they would send you money so that you can buy those shoes. Well, my birthday finally rolled around. And I got just enough money to buy a pair of black Reebok pumps. So as soon as I got those checks cashed, I ran as fast as I could. I went as fast as I could to the the local shoe store, and I bought a brand new pair of black Reebok pumps. Now that's the only gift I got that year for my birthday, but I thought those shoes were well worth it. Well, guess what? I was wrong. Those shoes did not even last me through basketball season. The pump in one of my shoes ended up fouling up and and I had to exchange them for another pair, and and guess what, though they did give me another pair in exchange for for the pair that had broke for free, they didn't have any more in black, so I had to settle for the only color they had, purple. And unless you play for the LA Lakers, A purple pair of high tops is not a cool thing to have on a basketball court. But I wore them, and uh, I wore those purple pumps for the rest of the season, which by the way, I wore out in less than a year. So I used all of my birthday money on those shoes, and I didn't have anything to show for it the time my birthday rolled around the next year. And though this is just a, a small sacrifice, And that I didn't even work for. Many of you, you you have worked for certain things and you've put in long, tireless hours for, for things much bigger than a pair of tennis shoes. Many of us are still making sacrifices like this today, aren't we? We're bending over backwards in our jobs so that we can buy nice clothes that'll be dated in a year or two. We're pushing ourselves to the limits, to make payments on vehicles that we will not have for very much longer and we're, we're running around like crazy working two jobs or more to, to buy things for our kids and for ourselves and for our homes that will eventually be inventory at the Goodwill. Here's my point. We sacrifice so much for temporal things. For things that don't even matter at this moment, much less for eternity. But let me ask you this. How many things do we, do? how much do we put on the line for the things of God? How much do we sacrifice for things that truly matter for eternity? In this passage, Paul is going to speak on this very issue. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to be in verses 19 through 27 this morning. In this passage, Paul is going to put himself forward once again as our example, and he is going to show us that the best investment we are to make is in people. Paul made huge sacrifices in his life and in ministry. But the major difference for Paul is that what he sacrificed for mattered for eternity because he made sacrifices for others and he invested in people. What we're going to find in this passage that we're going to look at this morning is that Paul was willing to sacrifice any and everything to see as many people come to Christ as possible. One thing he sacrificed in particular that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is his Christian liberty. Though Paul admits at the beginning of chapter nine, that he is free in Christ, he tells us here in this passage that though that's the case, he out of a love for his Christian brothers and sisters limited the liberty that he had for others. He limited his freedom. He made himself a slave to everyone. Now that's sacrifice, right? He says, though I'm free, I set aside that freedom. I set aside that liberty to win people. If someone gets offended with something in my life, I'll stop doing whatever that certain something is so that I do not become a roadblock for the gospel so that I can win as many as possible for Christ. Believe me when I say the the Christians at Corinth, they needed to hear this message like we've explained over the past few weeks, many of them had become roadblocks to God's kingdom work because they were holding on too tightly to their freedoms in Christ. Remember the Corinthians had asked Paul whether or not they should eat meat that had been offered to idols and along with that question, they offered up a few reasons why they thought they should. And as we explained a couple of weeks ago, and last week as well, though Paul tells them that they have freedom to eat of this food. They have freedom to eat meat that's been offered to an idol. He tells them that they should be willing to limit the liberty they have out of a love for one another. He says in chapter 8, though the act of eating meat sacrificed to idols is not wrong because an idol isn't anything anyways, therefore it's been offered to nothing, it's just meat just cheap meat he says offending your christian brother or sister and tempting them to violate their own conscience is wrong therefore you should refrain he's going to say here in chapter 9 though it's not wrong to exercise the liberty that you have if that freedom becomes a roadblock For someone coming to Christ and growing in godliness, you should waive that right so that God's gospel can thrive and can advance. So this is a great message for the Christians at Corinth and believers, let's be honest, this is a great message for us today, isn't it? Because limiting liberty for others is not an easy thing for us to do, is it? Let's be honest, it's hard enough to resist sin in our life, much less waive the rights that we have and refrain from something that's lawful for us to do. Yet God tells us in His Word that this is a sacrifice that we should be willing to make in ministry. Well, because this is a struggle for us, we need some outside help in this area, don't we? When well, this text we're going to look at this morning, Paul, through personal example, is going to show us how to do just that. He is going to show us how to limit our liberty for the cause of Christ. He is going to show us what it takes to sacrifice for God's kingdom. He is going to demonstrate for us what it looks like to waive your rights to win people for Christ. Wave your rights to win the loss. That's Paul's message to this messy church this morning. First, he tells us this. Number one, to be able to waive your rights, you have to put others before yourself. To waive your rights, you have to put others first. Paul did just that in ministry, didn't he? Look at verse 19, the first part of verse 19. Paul says, for though I am free from all. Let's stop there for a minute notice here that Paul repeats the point he made in verse 1 in verse 1 of this chapter in chapter 9 Paul asks rhetorically am I not free and here in verse 19 he speaks very definitively and he says I am free so he's making the point once again I'm free just like you are free from what he says free from all or in other translations it says free from all men context, what Paul is saying here is that he is free from non-biblical, non-essential hang-ups that some people have. He says, I'm free from certain non-biblical, non-essential rituals and practices that people associate with the Christian faith. And he says, I'm also free to partake in practices that some consider to be counter to the Christian faith, but are, in fact, lawful. Though he admits, Paul admits that he is free from all of those things and free to partake in other things. Notice what he says in the second half of verse 19. Paul says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul says, though I am free, I am a servant in the Old Testament we're told at times when slaves would reach the place where they had a right to be freed at times they would refuse that freedom and they would continue in service to their master out of a love for their master this is similar to what Paul is saying here he says though I don't have to do this I choose to because I love you now the Greek word translated servant here Paul uses is a verb that means yourself a slave it's a very strong word Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 7:15 when he talks about the marriage bond and he uses the same word in Romans 6:18 and in verse 22 when he speaks of our union with Christ this is a very strong word so it's important that we understand this word because it gives us great insight to the incredible commitment that Paul made to those he ministered to. This is the tightest kind of union that you can have with someone. He says, I enslave myself to you as I've enslaved myself to Christ. For what reason? In verse 19. That I might win more of them. Paul waived his rights. He restricted his freedom to win as many to Christ as possible. He said, I am willing to sacrifice everything that I have and all that I am to be your servant. Let's take a moment to look at the extent of this, the reach of this, the great lengths Paul went through to win people to Christ. And as we discuss these, think about your own life. Ask yourself this as we examine Paul's efforts in ministry. Ask yourself, how far am I willing to go to reach people for the gospel? Ask yourself, how much do I sacrifice to advance the kingdom of God? Look at verse 20 through 23. Paul shares with us the great lengths he went through to win people to Christ. First he says to the Jew, he became a Jew. Paul says, verse 20, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Now, Some of you read that and think that's not that big of a stretch, is it? I mean, isn't Paul Jewish? It's true, but this is where context comes in. Paul's not talking about being a Jew in race. He's talking about in practice. He's informing his readers that he went as far as adopting certain Jewish practices, non-biblical, non-essential Jewish practices, when in the presence of devout Jewish people in order to build a bridge for the gospel, in order to win as many Jews for Jesus as possible. Notice the latter part of verse 20 specifies what he means. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. You got it? It's typical Paul there. He says, even though I'm under no ceremonial law, even though I'm no longer bound by these legal ceremonies and Jewish customs, though I am free from all these things, he says, I waive that freedom. I waive my liberty. I waive this right so that I can win as many Jews for Jesus as possible. For example, he circumcised Timothy. That's more of a sacrifice for Timothy to make. This makes the point here. He circumcised Timothy before taking him along to minister to the Jews. Now, why would Paul do that? I mean, he knew there was no spiritual benefit to the act of circumcision. Why did he do it? Well, Timothy was a child from a mixed marriage. He had a mother who was a Jew and a father who was a pagan Gentile. And in those days, the Jews would have considered Timothy to be a Gentile because of who his father was. So Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him. I mean, talk about sacrifice. Once again, Timothy made it for the gospel. And the reason why Paul insisted on this and did this was because, not because he believed it to be salvific, but because... For him and Timothy to earn a hearing with the Jews, they would have to remove any and every obstacle so that the gospel would advance. Not only did he do this for the Jews, he also did this for the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, he became as a Gentile. Look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Some will hear that and say, how convenient for Paul. When things got too difficult under god's law he could just step out and go hang out with his gentile friends and party is that what paul's saying here no look at what he says at the end of verse 21 not being outside the law of god but under the law of christ that i might win those outside the law paul's not talking about compromising himself morally here when he ministers to the gentile He's not talking about the moral law of God, but once again, he's talking about ceremonial law. Paul says, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't violate God's word. I just refrain from legal ceremonies and Jewish customs when I'm hanging out with the Gentiles because they don't care about those things. And those things are non-essential, non-biblical. So why would I do them before the Gentiles? He says, when I'm with the Gentiles... I align myself with them. I do what they do. Eat what they eat. Dress how they dress. Go where they go without moral compromise. Still living under the law of Christ. Why? To win as many Gentiles as possible. So when Paul worked and ministered to the Gentiles, he acted as a Gentile, he aligned himself with them to win them for Christ. Paul also says, to the weak, he became as weak. Look at verse 22. Paul says, to the weak, I become weak that I might win the weak. Who are the weak? These are those we have been talking about for the past couple of weeks. They are new Christians in Corinth with non-biblical hang-ups and convictions who do not yet have a good handle on their liberties. They are new Christians in Corinth who believe eating food offered to idols is the worst thing a believer could do. Notice Paul doesn't come down on them, does he? Say, what's wrong with you guys? I mean, grow up. You're worried about things that aren't even biblical. Does Paul do that? No. He says, To the weak, I become weak. He says, When I'm with them, I become like them. The reason why? To win them. Now, the word win is translated, uh, it, it's translated when it means to gain through investment. Okay? So, Paul is, when, when he talks about the weak here, he's not talking about to win them for Christ. They've already been saved. What he's talking about is I make an investment in them to to gain them, to gain an audience with them so that I can pour my life into theirs and assist them in their growth in godliness. Paul concludes this passage by saying, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He says, I have become all things to all men to win as many as possible. He says, I do this for the sake of the gospel. And again, people will say about Paul, he's compromising himself. Well, in a way he is, but he's not compromising himself morally. He's compromising his liberties. Listen very carefully. This is very important for you to understand because this passage has been abused by many. Paul did not set aside truth. He set aside his liberty for the sake of the gospel. That's a big difference. Fortunately, we have some today who have taken this verse and and have used it to say that that you you can change some things that Scripture teaches there, there are many today who are setting aside truth and as a result they're presenting a gospel that is false I've heard Gospels without faith and I've heard Gospels without sin and repentance Paul didn't make those kind of compromises don't believe me just listen to his words in Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, contrary to the true gospel, let him be accursed. That's one of the strongest words in the New Testament. Let him be anathema. Let him be set aside for destruction. And then he says it again. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says in Galatians 1, I'm no people pleaser when it comes to the truth of this message. He says, I'm not going to set aside truth for anyone. If one gets offended by the cross, that's their problem. If a man gets offended by the truth of God's word, that's his problem. But if one gets offended by my behavior, my behavior that isn't necessary, then I'll stop because that's my problem. It's Paul's point. He did not want to become a roadblock for the gospel when he didn't have to. Believers, what sacrifices have you made lately, if any, for God's gospel? What sacrifices have you made to win the lost for Christ? What liberties are you waving to win people? Some in here will say, well, I'm not where Paul is. I mean, I haven't removed any and every obstacle, so I, I, I can't say I've become all things to all men. Well, that's not what I ask. What sacrifices, if any, have you made lately for the cause of Christ? You're not gonna go from zero to 60, where Paul is overnight. But I do want to encourage you this very day to begin to think about sacrifices that you can make for the gospel and begin moving in this direction. It's what we're called to do in scripture. It's to do without so that we can push forward the kingdom of God and push back the darkness in our world. Number two, to be able to waive your rights, you have to be disciplined spiritually. On top of putting others first, Paul was disciplined spiritually, which enabled him to freely waive his rights for the cause of Christ. In verses 24 through 27, Paul shifts gears a bit, and he begins to give a series of athletic metaphors to show the importance of being disciplined spiritually. And he does this to make the point that if you're going to waive your liberty for the lost, you're going to have to be disciplined in your spiritual life. You're going to have to have your spiritual life in check. You're going to have to say no to some things your old body wants to do. Look at the first part of verse 24. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all runners run? but only one receives the prize? Now, my guess is when this was read in the Corinthian assembly, this got their attention. Paul is speaking their language here. The Corinthians knew all about athletics. I mean, athletics dominated Greek society. The two most famous athletic events at this time were the Olympics and the Isthmian Games, and the Isthmian Games were actually held in Corinth every third year so they knew all about track and field and they loved it and they knew what was involved to compete and they knew how competitive these events were and of course they knew that everyone who runs a race runs to win obviously paul says in the same way you run that you may obtain it in other words you guys run to win He says, in this race that we're in, to win souls for Christ and to make disciples run your race to win. Be competitive when it comes to the spiritual well-being of others. After this pep talk, Paul continues in verses 25 through 27 to give the Christians at Corinth some principles for winning. He gives them four principles for winning. First, he says, to win, you have to have self-control. Self-control. Look at verse 25. Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So this is the first principle for winning. Let me give you an example of this. If you've ever run track, or you know anything about track, or know anything about running, for that matter, you know as well as I do that To have a chance at winning, you cannot just go and eat and drink whatever you want right before a race, right? Though you're free to do that, you're free to eat that large hot fudge sundae and drink that big 40-ounce soft drink before you run. You know that if you do, your chances of, of running the race well or even finishing without getting sick is not very good. In a similar way, Paul realizes, though he is free... There are certain restraints he has to put upon himself if he is going to run the race well, if he is going to be an effective witness for the Lord Jesus. And believers, for us to be an effective witness for Christ and, a, and to be successful at making disciples, we are going to have to sacrifice certain things. We are going to have to make sacrifices in order to do that ask yourself this morning what are some things in my life that are roadblocks for the gospel what in your life is hindering your witness in your connect cards you received this morning you have a few challenges in there each and every week and and for this week i have challenged you to take some time this week to examine your life and identify these roadblocks and make efforts to remove them for the sake of the gospel. Second principle for winning is motivation. To run well, you have to have the proper motivation, don't you? And Paul gives it here in verse 25. He says, they, athletes, run to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Back in the first century when athletes when they won a race they were awarded rewarded with a with a wreath in the shape of a crown it looked something like this here this was the motivation for athletes in training this was their goal for which they strived if they won they would be crowned with this but after a period of time that wreath would fade it would turn brown and even become brittle to the touch and after a short period of time it would be thrown away with the trash. Paul says this to make the point that if athletes do without and discipline their bodies to gain a perishable wreath, crown or whatever it is, a medal or whatever, how much more so should you as believers do without and be disciplined to win people for Christ? He says we have a much greater Prize that we're competing for. We're striving for the souls of men whom we will carry with us into eternity. Much greater prize. Believers, how many earthly trophies are you competing for this very day that will not pass God's test of fire? That will not matter for eternity. Paul says, though many of these things are not fireproof and perishable, a redeemed soul is. Let that motivate us as we move forward together in godliness. And let that move you to sacrifice for the lost. There's a third principle for winning, and it's this, efficiency. Look at verse 26. Paul says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In this verse, Paul throws in yet another metaphor. He mentions boxing. And he uses boxing and track and field to make the same point. He says the successful runner or boxer is not necessarily the one who runs or fights the hardest, but the one who runs and fights the smartest. There is strategy to both. And it involves not wasting your energy, but rather channeling it and directing it in the proper way to achieve your goals. Remember in Ecclesiastes? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 10.10, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Solomon says there's nothing more foolish than a man going into the woods with a dull axe. Though many of us applaud hard work, we applaud those who work from sunup to sundown. Guess what? If one is not being productive, what good is it? Though one is working harder, the person is not working smarter. Solomon says that's foolish. And so does Paul. Paul says if you want to win, if you want to be fruitful in ministry you need to avoid running aimlessly you need to avoid boxing the air Paul definitely didn't go in the woods with the dull axe and no game plan did he no he used the mind God gave him and used his God-given ability and used his heart for people to work and minister smarter not harder believers what's your plan to win people and to make disciples many don't have one they have a grocery list they don't have that plan to win people and make disciples you should some people say well when the topic comes up I'll wing it what if a boxer went into a title fight like that I'm not gonna look at any tape I'll just wing it wouldn't go well would it the same is true for us we need a game plan there's a fourth and final key to winning, and it's this, fairness. If you want to run the race well, you have to abide by the rules. Look at what Paul says in verse 27. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul says you have to be disciplined. You have to bring your body under control. You have to run a controlled, smart race. But you also have to run a fair race to win. You have to abide by the rules. Paul did not want to be disqualified from the race. And you may be thinking to yourself, how is one disqualified? Well, one of the main ways is by destroying your witness and becoming a roadblock for the gospel. That's why Paul went above and beyond. Not only did he... Did he attempt to to avoid sin in his life, even though he struggled and failed at times like we all do? But he also went above and beyond that to waive the rights that he had so that he would not become a hindrance, but a help to the gospel. Believers, examine your life with me again this morning. Ask yourself this. Am I running the race the way God has called me to run this race or am I damaging my witness? Am I being a help or a hindrance to the gospel? Listen, it's not too late. If you've gotten off track spiritually this morning, it's not too late. For you to get back on track and get busy living for God and running the race that He has called you to run and the way He has called you to run it. It's not too late to come alongside other believers and and be a help to advance this gospel. I want to end this morning by speaking to those of you in here who have not yet been won for the Lord. Been speaking primarily to believers this morning, but I want to speak to those of you in here who have not yet given your life to Christ and are not trusting in Him this morning for your salvation. I want to call your attention once again this morning to the actions of Paul here in this passage. Look at the great lengths he went to to win people to Christ. Why did he go so far as becoming a Jew to win the Jews, a Gentile to win the Gentiles? Why did he discipline his body and bring it under strict control? Why did he bend over backwards to see the lost come to know the Lord Jesus? Because Paul knew how important this decision is. He knew that without Christ, one is without a hope in the world. Those of you in here this morning without Christ, I I too want to stress this this very same message to you. I too want to stress to you how important this decision is. Scripture is clear that every one of us, all of mankind without exception other than the Lord Jesus, are, are sinners. We were conceived in sin, scripture says, and from the moment we left the womb, we've been struggling with it and we've been slaves to it. Every one of us, without exception, are born in this state And every one of us, without exception, repeat the sin of Adam on a daily basis in that we reject God's rule and reign in our life and we have chosen to go at life on our own. And Scripture is clear that because of that rebellion, we are set against God and we are enemies of His. And if that condition doesn't change, we'll have to endure His wrath and His judgment in the life to come for all eternity. Scripture also tells us that God so loved us that He sent Christ to be for us what we could not be for ourselves, perfect inside and out, and He sent Him to provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves, a right relationship with the one true God. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, He accomplished salvation for all who place their faith and trust in Him. you understand now why Paul went to the great lengths he went to to get this message out? This message I give to you today. If you would admit that you were a sinner who is against God, and if you would turn from that sin and turn back to God and personally receive and, and trust in the person and work of His Son, You can be forgiven of sin and made right with God this very morning. If you've not made that decision, I pray that you would right now before you do anything else. Receive Christ today and be saved. Let's pray.